0: all right we're going to continue on today something a little bit different um... we are having a video series here that is being presented uh, by pastor jimmy evans from gateway church in dallas texas and uh... jimmy evans did a series in may and june of this year so it's really current that he did in their church in dallas and it's a big church they have multiple campuses And it's a big, big church. Jimmy Evans is best known for his ministry to marriages. And he's got a marriage ministry, but he's also been studying Bible prophecy for 33 years. And he has done a really good job putting together this series, and he's titled it The Tipping Point. And a tipping point is a point where of no return. When something gets to the tipping point, there's no getting it back. If you have a jar of water that you're getting to the point, you know, at some point in time you can stop it from spilling, but once you get to the point of the tipping point, the water comes out, okay? You can't stop it. And that's kind of where we're at in eternity right now. We're getting to the tipping point of eternity where it can't turn back. God has an eternal time clock, and we don't know exactly what it is, but we do know one thing. Every second that goes by, we don't get it back. We're one day closer than we were yesterday. No question about it. Is that a fact? Yeah. And the other thing is, you and I have no guarantee of our next breath. I don't have a guarantee of another heartbeat. So I could be at the tipping point of my life, and so could you. So we can say this assuredly, and I will tell you assuredly that you will see the rapture. Yeah. It may not be the corporate rapture, but it'll be your own personal rapture. When you die, you're going up in the rapture, or you're going someplace else in the rapture. Okay? So your point is. That you will see it. So you can't say, well, it's not going to happen in my lifetime because it is going to happen in your lifetime. You just don't know which one it's going to be. So here's the point. The point is we need to live every day with the intensity that this could be my last day, but I'm planning to be here for another 50 years right? I'm planning 50 years. I'm, I'm working hard at my job. I'm saving. I'm doing all the right things in my business. I'm not putting my head in the sand. I'm not going up to a mountaintop and just going to sit there and do nothing. No, I'm working in the kingdom of God, doing everything I can, planning for 50 years, but I'm living like this might be my last day. Isn't it amazing how productive you are the last days in your work before you go on vacation? I know when I was working at a real job, that was my life. Yeah, when I had a real job, when I wasn't a pastor, you know, when I actually worked for a living, you know, that kind of thing, I know what you guys are all thinking. That, anyways, Um, I would I would get really productive the last couple days before I'd go on vacation because I wanted my vacation to be good. And I thought, man, if I could just get that productive all the time, I would be really a good employee. Well, you know what? That's the kind of way we are needed to work with our spiritual life. We need to live with an intensity, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. We are in the fourth quarter, and we can—we all can appreciate a game that is governed by a clock. Because when the clock starts ticking down, the pressure starts rising. Every point means more, even though it really doesn't. That free throw at the last second of the game doesn't mean anything more than a free throw the first second of the game. It's still one point. However, the intensity picks up. The pressure picks up. The coaches are hollering. The the teams are working harder. The, The crowds are screaming. Everybody's on edge because we're getting to the end of the game. And the team that comes with the most intensity at the end normally wins. Well, let me just tell you a little hint. Satan knows what's going on in the clock of eternity. And he knows that his time is getting shorter. And therefore, he's picking up his intensity all around us. Look at the world around us. Look at the stuff going on around us and don't tell me the devil's not picking up his game. So if we as Christians are not picking up our game, guess who's going to win in your life? If you think you can live life as you've always lived life and don't get upset and don't get, oh, don't rock the boat here because I've done it this way for 30 years, well, the Satan is not doing it that way for 30 years now. He's moving on and we need to too. That doesn't mean you go get a placard and put it on and say the end of the world is coming. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you live for Jesus to the most that you can live. And that's what Jimmy Evans is going to talk to us about. Today, we're going to talk about technology at the tipping point. And he gives good, solid teaching as to why we truly are reaching that time. All right? So we're going to play that right now, Jimmy Evans' technology at the tipping point. And there's a handout for you all that you can follow along with.
1: turn to Daniel chapter 12. Are you enjoying this series on end times? I hope you are. Good. I love preaching on the end times. And this message is called Technology at a Tipping Point. And I want to jump right into it. Let me start with some good news. God is in control. Did you know that? The devil is not in control. God is in control. Here's the next good news. Jesus is coming. So Jesus said, when you see all these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your head your redemption is drawing near. So when I talk about all the signs of the end times this is just incredibly good news that Jesus is coming and we're about to see the kingdom of God birthed on this earth in the rule of Jesus Christ. So it's all good news but we're living in in very severe times and what the Bible describes as the end times and the Bible describes the end times as an age of unique technological capabilities different than any generation That went before it and these technologies are here by the way and it's unique to our generation now we're going to talk first of all about four technological advancements the bible prophesies at the end times and the first one we're going to find in daniel chapter 12 and its advancements in knowledge and travel now this is daniel 12 we I ask you to turn there and it says but you daniel shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase and so the angels talking here to daniel and he says daniel seal this book up it will not be understood until the end times and here's how you're going to know that the end times have come many people will go to and fro travel will increase and knowledge will increase well the the question is is that true in our generation well you know hundreds of years ago the average person could only go twenty to forty miles in a day either by foot or by horse or however they did it they just couldn't go that far And if you were on a ship, maybe you could go, if the winds were good, maybe you could go 100 or 200 miles. But then in the 19th century, trains became popularized and common, and they increased travel a little bit. And then in the late 18th and early 19th centuries, cars and then buses revolutionized travel a lot. People could go hundreds of miles in a day. But it was in the 1960s and 70s that the average person could begin to fly. And right now, the average person travels extensively across america and many around the world and just let me just ask this question and i want you to see the hands that go up how many of you have traveled internationally in the last month raise your hand look at the hands that have gone go up okay now that question you asked that question two hundred years ago if you had traveled internationally you weren't back yet okay so <laughs> the, you you couldn't answer that question i would have had to say in the last year and so we can travel extensively and you know virgin airlines is now going to make space travel available commercially Hopefully, in the near future, they say. And so, yes, we have seen people going to and fro in our generation. This has come true. Well, what about knowledge? Well, this is a a little uh, excerpt here from IndustryTap.com. Speaking, it's Buckminster Fuller is the one who created the knowledge doubling curve, and he noticed until 1900, human knowledge doubled every century. Okay, so up until the year 1900 human knowledge doubled about every 100 years. By the end of World War II, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. Today, things are not as simple as different types of knowledge have different rates of growth. For example, nanotechnology knowledge is doubling every two years and clinical knowledge every 18 months. But on average, human knowledge today is doubling every 13 months. But according to IBM, the building out of the Internet of Things will lead to the doubling of knowledge every 12 hours. So in the year 1900, knowledge was doubling every 100 years. Now it's doubling every 18 months, and IBM says soon it will double every 12 hours. And so have we seen the increase of knowledge and travel in our day? Of course we have, in a a dramatic fashion, and it's continuing. The second uh, technological advancement that had to happen for the end to come is satellite television and the internet. And you're saying, Jimmy, you're telling me that satellite television and the internet is in the Bible. It is. It's in Revelation chapter 11, and this is the story of the two witnesses. I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, that's three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth, and if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies and if anyone wants to harm them he must be killed in this manner these have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire when they finish their testimony the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them overcome them and kill them and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified, then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now this is Enoch and Elijah. These are two men who did not die in the Old Testament. And now they're gonna live and be killed by the Antichrist and here's what it says they're gonna be killed by the Antichrist and their bodies are gonna lay dead and the whole world will see it at the same time okay well in the 1920s and 30s John Hagee the pastor in San Antonio his daddy was a was a preacher in the 1920s and 30s and he preached on the end times and this is before Israel became a nation and here's what John Hagee's daddy was preaching in the 20s and 30s. He said, The end cannot come until Israel is a nation and all the world can see the same thing at the same time. They thought he was crazy. How in the world could the whole world see the same thing at the same time? This was impossible 50 years ago. But right now, because of satellite television and the internet, If they killed him and laid him in the street, the whole world can see him at the same time. And it says, and when they're killed, the whole world send gifts to each other. That's when you know you're unpopular. (laughs) When people send gifts when you die. And so they are killed, and after three days, they're resurrected and ascend into heaven. And so while the Antichrist is arising... Enoch and Elijah are a thorn in his side and they're preaching the gospel and doing supernatural signs and wonders and testifying to the the greatness of Almighty God and the Antichrist hates them so much he ultimately kills them. But what I'm saying is the the technology that exists for the entire world to witness the same thing at the same time is right now. It can happen right now. But it couldn't happen before because of technology. The third technological advancement is total worldwide financial control. Okay, so this is the Antichrist. This is Revelation 13. I want to say something before I read this. The the control that the Antichrist has during the tribulation, and we won't be here, Jesus is coming. We're going to go in the rapture before the tribulation. But the control that the Antichrist has is financial. He has some political power, he has some military power. But the main way he controls people during that time is financially. Here it is right here, Revelation 13:11. I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth and the side of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here's wisdom, let him who understands calculate the number of the beast for this number of a man. His number is 666. Now, so with a cash system, if, if the world is trading in cash, it would be impossible for anyone to control that. You just can't do it, because you, you just can't you know, control every person and their money. But you could do it if it was a cashless society, and the control was electronic and central. And we're the first generation in the history of the world that could have a central electronic system that one person could control. I was on the phone today with the credit card company. We were having an issue with one of our credit cards. Camera's out shopping, and I was trying to lower the limit. And, uh, <laughs> but when I was talking to the credit card company, they said, OK, Mr. Evans, it's done. You know what they, that meant? It was done right then. When they were on their computer and they made an adjustment to our credit card, that means it was done right then. And I have been all over the world with my credit card, and you go up to a point-of-sale technology, whatever that point-of-sale technology is, and now we can walk up with our cell phone and tap it. But we have point-of-sale technology that's electronic, and I go all over the world with my credit card, swipe it, and within an instant, it's approved or disapproved or whatever. All over the world. And so now we have point-of-cell technology we also have VeriChip technology and this is a little chip that was approved by the FDA in 2004 many of your animals have this chip in them right now okay so this technology has been around for a while and you can put all of your medical and financial data on this chip and it would go in your hand your forehead wherever but all of your information can be on that chip and remember what this scripture that we're reading here is around the middle of the tribulation so if the tribulation started today There would still be several years to put this into place around the world. But understand, this type of technology that I'm talking about right now just simply did not exist 50 years ago, 100 years ago. We are the first generation to see this kind of technology that the Bible said would happen at the end of time. And I want to say one more thing about the Mark of the Beast. I don't know exactly what the Mark of the Beast is. There are many different theories on what it is. But here's what I do know. This is Revelation 14. A third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy uh, angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image and receive the mark of his name. And so we will not be here. We won't have to worry about that. But whoever is here receiving the mark of the beast is an unforgivable sin. It is something that ensures hell to the person who receives it. So it's a very, very serious thing. Here's the technological tipping point, in my opinion. And this is something that's happening right now in our world. That's the most troubling of all the technologies that we see. In the past decade, there have been dramatic advancements in the field of genetics, and genetic engineering as with other areas of knowledge it is rapidly increasing and there's some slides that are going to come up here that you're going to see And the first one we're going to look at is in human genetic engineering and it's a the first is a a Forbes article this is and it says the era of genetically altered humans could begin this year And this was actually written in January of 2014 and this is talking about a vote that was taken in uh, the UK to allow the DNA of three adults to be put in an embryo rather than two adults. For the first time in human history, we now have the ability to introduce the DNA of more than two people to create a child, okay? But China this year, this is the next slide here, Chinese scientists genetically modified a human embryo. It says, in a world first, Chinese scientists have reported editing the genomes Of human embryos okay so so this happened in April of this year listen in the first time in human history a human embryo has been edited now let me tell you what what that means that means they're going in to change the DNA of a baby that's going to be born and this results in designer babies Rather than just, you know, having a baby and taking your chances, is it going to be a boy or a girl? Is it going to be tall or going to be short? You know, what's this child going to be like? And you wait to see. You don't wait to see. You go into an office and you sit down and say, we want this baby to be smart. We want this baby to be tall. We won't want this baby to have any diseases. Here are the diseases of our family. Go in there and change the genetics and erase all this. So basically, it's humans being God. And we're the first generation that has the uh, opportunity to do this, and it's just starting, but this technology is advancing very quickly. Here's another one that's very troubling. This is humancloning.org. If you want to go on their website, this is a big push now for human cloning. Now, I'm from Amarillo, and Amarillo is the American Quarter Horse Association. And quarter horses are all about breeding for, for centuries. It's all about breeding. And you go in, you have a horse, you register that horse, and they know all the family bloodlines and all that. They're now cloning horses, and people with cloned quarter horses are coming to the Quarter Horse Association and say, we want to register our cloned horse. They say, no, it's not real. It's a a cloned animal. It's not not real. And so there's a big legal fight now over whether they're going to clone horses or not, but there have 22 reasons for human cloning, okay? There's 22 of them. One of them is to take a step toward immortality. This is is the common thread you're going to hear me say here in, in these deals. To take a step toward immortality. That kind of sounds like man trying to be God, right? Let me just tell you a little secret. I've got immortality. I don't have to clone to do it. Here's another slide. Very, very troubling. 150 human-animal hybrids grown in UK labs. Now, this was written in 2011, so this is is old news. Right now, all over the world, human-animal hybrids are being created. Pigs with human blood, sheep growing human hearts and organs, uh, all, uh, uh, a mice that's growing a human ear on its back, and all different kinds of animals. And the problem with this is relatively low-tech. And now it's being done all over the world. What I'm saying is the human seed is now being introduced with animal seed to produce a hybrid race like Dr. Moreau or something like that, that we've never seen before in the history of the world, but it's happening now. But this is, this is the worst of all, the one I'm about to talk about. Now, I, I want to stop right here and just say, God's in control, Jesus is coming, okay? So don't, don't get down on me now. So this is all good, okay? This is about transhumanism, and this is huge. It's going on right now in America, all over the world. This is an article. U.S. super soldiers of the future will be genetically modified transhumans capable of superhuman feats. And this is an article now by Michael Snyder. The future of war is going to look really, really weird. The super soldier research that DARPA, and DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. This is the United States. This is part of our military. Is working on right now, is any, in, unlike anything we've seen before. If DARPA is successful and the American people don't object, the soldiers of the future will be genetically modified transhumans capable of superhuman feats. Do you want a soldier that can run faster than Usain Bolt? DARPA's working on that. Do you want a soldier that won't need food or sleep for days? DARPA's working on that. Do you want a soldier that can regrow lost limbs? DARPA's working on that. Do you want a soldier that can outlift Olympic weightlifters and that can communicate telepathically? DARPA's working on that. Americans flock to movies about superheroes and mutants and soon they may actually have real-life superheroes and mutants fighting their wars for them but at what cost a recent daily mail article detailed many of the strange research projects that darpa is working on right now the fact that darpa has actually allowed these projects to be revealed in the mainstream media probably means that development stage is nearly over and they're ready to try to convince a wary public to accept them so our government is working on transhuman uh uh, research for soldiers and chuck hagel who was our former Secretary of Defense, said in a public speech that I heard, Russia and China together are doing this also, and right now it's an arms race between us and China and Russia to see who can develop this first. So this is big, and we've never seen anything like this in the history of the world, but it's happening now. This is another article that says, listen to, to the title of this, Transhumanists superhuman powers and life extension technologies will allow us to become like God. This is an article. This is a second article. Here's the final article. This is Ray Kurzweil, and he is the head of engineering for Google with billions of dollars behind him. And here's the title of this article, Humans Will Be Hybrids by 2030. This is what he says. It says, in the future, humans are going to be artificially intelligent. That's the prediction of Ray Kurzweil, director of engineering at Google, who spoke Wednesday at the Exponential Finance Conference in New York. Kurzweil predicts that humans will become hybrids in the 2030s. That means our brains will be able to connect directly to the cloud, where there will be thousands of computers, and those computers will augment our existing intelligence. He said the brain will connect via nanobots, tiny robots made from DNA strands our thinking then will be a hybrid of biological and non-biological thinking now this by the way what they're working toward is called singularity and singularity is the day where humanity and technology merge and become one and they're saying in these articles 30 or 40 years from now if you and your children aren't doing this you will be considered subhuman you'll be way behind you won't be as intelligent you won't be as strong you'll have diseases they won't have diseases so on and so forth so there are unbelievable things happening in this area now i want to i want to change gears in this message and i want to close by talking about something and you know in the big scheme of things this doesn't matter now i'm going to talk about this as though it's true okay so i'm just going to talk like everything i'm saying from here on is true some of it i don't know is okay but but some some of it is absolutely is but i'm saying it doesn't matter so if you don't agree with part of this I don't really doesn't matter okay but i'm saying this because i'm going to make a statement at the end that's very important okay so just making a making a change here this is genesis chapter three and this is what god said to satan after the fall of adam and Eve. the lord said to the serpent because you have done this you're cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life and i will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed And her seed and he shall bruise your head you shall bruise his heel so God is speaking directly to Satan and he declares a seed war he says because you've done this you're gonna crawl on your belly and I'm declaring a seed war between your seed and my seed so there's a seed war this is Genesis 6 beginning with verse 1 it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful And they took wives of themselves, of all they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and afterward also I was talking about before the flood, and after the flood there were giants. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man, was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air. I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. The word for giants there is the word Nephilim and it means fallen ones okay so the bible says that the sons of god came into the daughters of men and they had children and the result was fallen ones or giants okay they they were different very very different okay well who are the sons of god well now in hebrew scholarship and the early church they believe those were fallen angels in the pseudepigraphal book of enoch enoch says that there were 200 angels that came down to mount hermon and swore an oath to each other that they were going to populate the earth with human women. And by the way, the Mount Hermon means mountain of the oath. And by the way, when the children of Israel came into the promised land, at the foot of Mount Hermon was a race of giants that God told them to destroy. And that would be like Goliath and all of his relatives. And so they were there. So who were these sons of God, according to the Bible? Well, Job 1 says this. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the lord said where do you come from satan answered and said from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it well it says the sons of god presented themselves and satan came well satan's a fallen angel job 2 1. again there was a day when the sons of god came to present themselves before the lord and satan came among them also to present himself before the lord again the sons of god were there and here's a fallen angel you know lucifer there with him so some people believe that this race of giants was created by fallen angels mating with human women and creating a hybrid race. So you say, well, I don't believe that. Okay, that's fine. Well, here's what we know, though. There's never a reference to a giant ever-loving God. And there's never a reference to God ever-loving a giant. And the only thing we know about the giants is that God utterly destroyed them every time they existed. When the flood came, there were giants on the earth before and after also. When the giants were on the earth before the flood, God utterly destroyed them. And when the children of Israel went into the promised land, God told Joshua, you utterly destroy every man, woman, and child of those giants. Let me say something. My precious Jesus doesn't act that way. That's not like my Jesus. I'm just telling you right now. My Jesus is a loving, redemptive Jesus. But when it comes to the giants, God is different. You say, why is he different? Because I don't think he sees them as human. He sees them his hybrids he sees them in the image of the devil not in the, his image because that's what i personally believe but here's what the bible says about the giants by the way second timothy twenty-one or second samuel twenty-one says yet again there was war at gath where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot twenty-four in number and he was also born of the giant well that's yucky you know if there's anything worse than being attacked by a giant is him waving twelve fingers at you you know i mean that ugh that's awful well then the bible says there was uh, deuteronomy 3 only Og, king of bashan remained of the remnant of the giants indeed his bedstead was an iron bedstead is it not in rabba of the people of ammon nine cubits is its length and four cubits its width according to the standard cubit well uh, his bed was somewhere between 10 and 15 feet tall but uh, listen his bed was so long that they put it on display he was born of the giants. He was somewhere around 13 feet tall, most scholars believe. He was 13 feet tall. This, this is a big guy. In Numbers 13, this is when the children of Israel were spying out the land, the, now they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people who we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the Nephilim, the fallen ones, the descendants of Anak, were a part of the Nephilim and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in their sight and they went in the children of Israel went in to spy the land out the twelve did and the ten came back and said we were tiny compared to them we were like insects compared to them these are massive people and in other words everything was pretty normal until the sons of God went into the daughters of men and then there was a hybrid race that God detested and he wiped him off the face of the map. Let me go back just a minute to Noah. So here's, a, here's an interesting scripture, and it says here, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Well, there's kind of a contradiction there. Let me show you what the contradiction is. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but Noah was perfect in his generation. Well, let me tell you something. If you're perfect, you don't need grace. The reason that we need grace is because we're not perfect. So here's my question. Was Noah imperfect and needed grace, or was Noah perfect and didn't need grace? Because the Bible says God gave him grace. The word for perfect here doesn't mean morally perfect. It means genetically perfect. God chose Noah and his family because the seed of the serpent hadn't hit them yet. They had not been infected by this hybrid race that everyone else had been infected by And so what god did is he came and he gave noah grace Because noah was an imperfect human being but he saw his genetics had not been flawed And so he took him out Destroyed the race of the giants and began all over again. And then satan began all over again. And the seed war continued And when the children of israel went into the promised land, you remember david fought goliath and goliath was nine feet tall? And Goliath had brothers. They were still there after the flood. And when they were still there after the flood, there was always a war that took place. Let me make a statement. I told you that I was going to say all that I said. And you may agree with what I said. You may not agree with it. Let me, let me read you one more scripture before I make my final statement. This is Second Peter 4. And this is what the New Testament says about the angels who sinned. If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ash, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who would live ungodly afterwards. Let me also read Jude 6 to you and 7. The angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these. Having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth in his example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire, and again, I want to go back and say in the Hebrew scholarship for thousands of years and also in the early church, this was their belief that angels sinned, they came down, and a hybrid race developed on the earth, and God detested that hybrid race, and every time he saw it, he de- destroyed it or commanded it. To be destroyed well why why am i saying all of that because i'm saying there's a hybrid race being created in the world right now and it's interesting that jesus says as it was in the days of noah so it will be also in the days of the son of man and we know that some of that is just because the world is corrupt and immoral and it's business as usual in the world but it could be what jesus was referring to is this hybridity that we see going on human animal hybrids the genetic alteration of human embryos, transhumanism, all of this. So here's, I've said everything that I've said to make this statement. The human seed is sacred and creates humans made in God's image. Man has no right to manipulate or to try to improve on what God has done. I'm not talking about good people using medical technology to help people or cure them. I'm talking about arrogant men taking the place of God and trying to improve and immortalize ourselves so we become our own gods. That's what I'm saying in this entire message. What God has done cannot be improved upon and we should leave the human seed alone except for helping people. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. And again, I'm saying that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. What the Bible said would happen at the end is happening. We are that generation, a unique generation, that we're seeing the Bible fulfill before our very eyes, and it just simply means we live for Jesus. We're not afraid. We, don't, you know, we go to work tomorrow. We live our lives. We, we, you know, we pray about our future, so on and so forth. We're not fearful. We don't stop living, but we live for Jesus. Lord Jesus... We bow our hearts before you and we pray and give our lives to you right now. We surrender our lives to your Lordship right now. And if there's anything in our lives that's displeasing to you, Lord, we lay it down right now. We say, we want to be ready when you come. We don't want to be in love with the world. We don't want to be deceived. We want to be living in the light. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill us right now and give us the supernatural ability to overcome evil and to live for jesus to be a witness for jesus until you come and we thank you for that lord in jesus name amen And jackie if you'd come let's just
0: uh, sing that song even so Come," the one we sang the, earlier um, I, I don't want these messages to bring fear but i do want them to bring conviction Conviction is always good. You know the difference between condemnation, fear, and conviction? Condemnation and fear always have no hope. It means you're a loser. If you're condemned, what that means is you have no hope. You are a loser, and there is nothing good ever going to be in your life. That's condemnation. That's fear. Do you know who the author of that is? It's Satan, right? But there is a conviction that comes, and conviction always points to hope. Conviction always is very, normally very pinpointed and very, very direct, like a surgical's knife, like a surgeon's knife. And it comes right to the point and it gives a conviction to change something to give you life, to give you hope. The Holy Spirit is the author of conviction. I invite conviction in my life all the time and I reject condemnation. I reject fear, but I invite the Lord's conviction because I know that it brings life. So these messages that we're talking about, these are not to bring fear or condemnation, but they are to bring conviction, holy conviction, so that I am always anticipating and inviting the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in my life to do what? To give me life and to give me hope and a promise. That's what these messages are about. Folks, Jesus is in control and he's coming soon. Amen. Let's stand up before we leave, and let's sing this song one more time about His soon coming, and let's rejoice in this, and let's be happy in this, and let's let's anticipate the goodness that He has.
2: Let every nation shout of your name Jesus is coming soon Like a variety.
0: Father, we just love you. We thank you. We are so excited about what's coming. Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity to live in this time. Thank you for choosing us to be here, Lord, that we literally could usher in the coming of the King. What a great time. What a privilege it is for us. And Lord, I pray that you would just encourage us and give us hope, give us joy, give us peace. Lord, give us the reason to go out into this world and to to witness to those lost loved ones that we have and those friends. Lord, help us not to be shy about it. Help us not to be um, um, embarrassed or bashful. But Lord, give us a holy confidence by the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, walk in us, live in us, speak in us that we would be pleasing in your sight and we would win those for others, win those for Jesus. And we just ask you to be King and Lord of our life as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go in the name of the Lord today. Be blessed. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.
2: Like a bride-